Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got a lovely show planned. I've been working on this since 5.30 this morning, making sure all my I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And yes, Rob Blue is going to be joining me in just a minute. Then I've got a couple of friends coming in. Jeff Verdorn and Peter Kapsner are going to join me for the second half hour. And then Dr. Mark Muska. I always look forward to uh, Mark as well, because that's Ask the Professor. So whatever questions you have, get them over. I've already got a bunch for him when he arrives, but uh, let me know what your questions are. You can send them to 877-933-2484. Rob is the executive editor over at The Daily Signal. Always glad to talk to Rob. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be with you. And it's Giving Tuesday. It is, yes. And organizations like like ours at The Daily Signal, which is a nonprofit, and, and yours at Faith Radio, I know appreciate all of the support and generosity of, uh, of all those people who uh, support our mission and our work. Indeed, it is uh, the biggest giving day of the year across 75 countries all over the world. Uh, I didn't know it was quite that big, but it's huge. That is an interesting fact. I did not realize that as well. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where usually the end of the year inspires a lot of people to give, just traditionally because that's when they're thinking about it. Uh, they're giving thanks for, for those organizations that they support. Uh, but I'm glad that uh, for all of the other <laughs> focuses we have, Black Friday, you know, Small Business Saturday, mm-hmm. Cyber Monday, that there's at least a day devoted uh, to the good work that uh, mission-driven organizations are doing. So it's just a lovely day to stand up and support your favorite causes, your uh, favorite organizations, your favorite ministries. So thank you for those who have supported The Daily Signal, and thank you for those who have supported Faith Radio. It means a lot to both Rob and I. So thank you very much. So, Rob, let's talk about what's going on in your neck of the woods, the old uh, Washington, D.C. area. Let's start, if we can, with the... Uh, um, variant, the new variant. Yes, the COVID-19 variant, Omicron, if I'm pronouncing it uh, correctly, Bill. Uh, it seems like they... Uh, Did you, you notice know, I let you say it, not me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, you know, it seems like we've just managed to get over the last variant and we're on to a new one. Right. And this, uh, this apparently is what we're going to be dealing with for quite some time with covid uh, as it mutates and uh, and, and, and becomes uh, more challenging to, to counteract. Now, a lot is still unknown about this, and there's some criticism of those in Washington and other state governments that are taking restrictive actions in terms of talking about lockdowns or uh, making you know emergency declarations, uh, reinstituting mask mandates, and, and continuing to push for, for vaccine mandates. Uh, when there's not a whole lot of information that's that's really all that that known, we we do know that there are some countries in Africa that uh, that have experienced this uh, COVID variant. The United States has decided to take the step of putting travel restrictions in place to hopefully limit its spread here. But uh, just as we saw with COVID originally, I mean, there are any number of ways for it to to get in. And sometimes people who are carrying it don't even realize they are because they might be asymptomatic. So it is uh, something that I think we just need to be vigilant and mindful of. But we certainly over the last uh, 19, 20 months have figured out how to 
live with COVID, uh, not only here in the United States, but across the world. And uh, I think that, you know, hopefully for the better, um, we, we don't, we, we've learned that you don't need to destroy people's livelihoods uh, to counteract uh, this, uh, this pandemic. And there are other and better solutions that we should be pursuing. So if we call it Omicron, I'll just pronounce it that way today until I'm corrected. That is now taken center stage. I don't know if we're talking about Delta that much anymore. And whoever remembers the Lambda variant? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't seem we're, to talk about that one either. We're, we're not. And, and Bill, I think part of this is, and and this is a criticism of, of our friends in the media who tend to sometimes overplay these things when they're looking for the latest story to pursue. And of course, coming out of Thanksgiving, you know, this was... You know, there's there's not a whole lot going in on in Washington right now. Uh, things seem to be at a stalemate, even with the, between the Democratic uh, Congress and the Biden White House on on the bigger uh, social spending plans. So, you know, this was something that popped up on the radar, and and as so often happens in the media, they have this pack mentality, and they've all decided to to move in this direction. And so that's why I just ur- urge your listeners, as I always do, uh, to be you know, s- skeptical, put on put on their critical thinking hat. And uh, and look out for different sources of information because I, I don't want anybody to uh, to necessarily panic when we don't necessarily have all of the information. And so, one of the big things that I think you're seeing happen in, in Washington is uh, th- this embrace again of, of of government control over our lives. And mm-hmm. we took a big step this week for the first time in the 48 year history of the Heritage Foundation to file a lawsuit against the Biden administration and specifically the uh, Department of Labor and Occupational Safety and Health Administration for imposing its mandate on us as an employer of over 100 uh, workers uh, to get the uh, to implement the vaccine mandate, and regardless of your position on, on vaccines. And I think that as somebody who's, who's had the, I'm fully vaccinated myself, uh, my, uh, my, my child uh, has, has, has even had the vaccine. I know there's a lot of debate about, um, you know, whether or not people... Uh, We'll ultimately get it. Um, my family chose that this was the direction we wanted to go. But I will tell you one thing, Bill. I do not want somebody in Washington, D.C., some government bureaucrat, dictating to me uh, my personal health decisions. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them telling my employer that they basically need to become an agent of the state and collect a bunch of personal medical information. And so we thought it was important for us to take this stand because it directly conflicts with the mission of our organization, which stands for limited government and traditional American values, which uh, are, are wholly opposed to um, to what the government's trying to do here. Mm-hmm. I was reading about uh, the cases in Portugal. They're up 373% since they started the vaccine passports last month. And that's despite the fact that 99% of all the adults there have been uh, at least partially va- partially vaccinated. And yet somehow we're continuing this idea that the vaccine passports and and the high vaccination rates will end the pandemic. I'm not sure it's going anywhere for a while. Well, I, I think this is a mistake that some some people in in the the government, the federal government specifically, ha, and and you know I'll call out Dr. Anthony Fauci by name here because uh, you, you're seeing not very inconsistent messaging, and I think it's of course led to a lot of Americans questioning whether or not. Uh, what steps that they should should take. I mean, you saw this early in the pandemic and, and this, I give them the benefit of the doubt then because we didn't know a whole lot about it, but we certainly know a whole lot more today. And here's one of the things that I think your listeners uh, should know. You know, as the president came out both yesterday and today 
you know, he uh, made some, some, you know, pretty, you know, scary uh, assessments about what we were facing. Here's the, here are the facts. Uh, basically, virtually every American between the ages of 65 and 74 has had at least one shot. Uh, over 89% of them are fully immunized. And among Air Americans who are over 75 years old, nearly 98% of them have had at least one shot and 85% of them are fully vaccinated. So it's not just Portugal and other countries that have high vaccination rates, it's the United States as well. And I cite that population specifically, those over the age of 65, because the, the data tell us that they are the ones who are most vulnerable if they were to come down with COVID. And Bill, I, the other thing that I'll, I'll, I'll just end on this point, I know so many more people who have had breakthrough cases of COVID than I do people who, who you know, just got it because they weren't vaccinated. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that leads to us to, you know, question, you know, how effective the vaccines really are. And we know that they're effective in terms of preventing hospitalizations and you to, from getting really sick. But it does lead to a certain amount of frustration that if you're basically guaranteed, you know, if you're told by the science community that, uh, that you need to get the vaccine, I think you would expect that uh, you're going to be protected. You don't necessarily um, see that turning up in, in some of the, in both the anecdotal cases and then the, when you look at the data. Rob, I always wonder about the word science too. If someone says, I am, like Dr. Fauci would say, I'm, I'm the head of the NIH, and then all of a sudden my opinion is going to be what is going to be implemented. If we here at Faith Radio said we've got a theologian on staff, and every other th theological perspective is not going to be considered because we already have one theo theologian on staff here. Well, and, and Bill, I think that this is where sometimes they hide behind the science. I mean, let, let's take another issue that I, I know you're going to get to in the interview, but um, tomorrow is a huge day in Washington, D.C. with the Supreme Court hearing the Dobbs case, yes. uh, a, a major abortion pro-life case. And for all of those, those people, usually on the left, who point to the science uh, what about the science of, of human life and, and those ultrasounds the, and, and the information that we've gathered about, uh, you know, the baby forming in the mother's womb? I mean, uh, so <laughs> when they start lecturing us on science, I think that there are plenty of examples that we can, we can point back to them and say, hey, you know, you're saying this one thing, uh, but you're not necessarily consistent in your beliefs. And so I, I get frustrated by, by some of the lecturing and, um, and the pontificating that we hear coming out of the, the White House and other places, because I think that, as I stated earlier, part of it is about government control and exerting power over the American people as, to, as opposed to letting them have the freedom and the liberty to make the decisions that they want to make for them and their families. And I think if everyone was super transparent from government uh, officials down, you, you know, we might have more information. I mean, if you go to the, the, uh, the uh, VAR, VAR's website... Uh, That's right. And you look at, there's been 16,000 deaths reported uh, to VARES resulting from COVID-19 vaccine. And there's been an additional 17,000 life-threatening events that have also uh, been reported that didn't immediately cause death. And 75,000 hospitalizations have occurred and 87,000 visits to the emergency room and 121,000 to doctor's offices. Those, that's, a, that's a big number. That's right. It certainly is. You, you better believe it. And and I think that is that is a classic example of where there is media bias, not necessarily because they are are are, are biasing their coverage of it. They're just not covering it at all. So it's it's kind of biased by omission. You know, it's the stories that you don't hear about, and it's why 
outlets like Faith Radio and The Daily Signal exist. I'll give you another one that you don't hear about. Uh, I had the opportunity to recently uh, travel to, to Florida and hear Governor DeSantis speak. And at the time that I was down there, which was a couple of weeks ago now, Florida was the only state, the only uh, of the 50 states, it was one of 50 that had the lowest uh, level of community transmission. Now, there were another, there are a few other states that have joined it, including Hawaii, uh, Louisiana, and uh, Alabama. But why aren't we hearing about this story? You heard plenty of stories about all of those spring breakers who were going to Florida and the concerns about them spreading COVID. And now Florida is uh, is leading the way when it comes to this but you don't hear anything about it and so bill i i it, it frustrates me to no end that uh that our news media uh, is selective in terms of the stories that it wants to tell and uh and frustrating at the same time yeah and maybe we should just as a reminder remember in 1976 the swine flu vaccine was retired from use after only 25 people died from it yeah I mean, it's, it's right. Exactly. Uh, it, it is. And, and you have, you do have, I don't want your listeners to think that there's nobody talking about this because there are people who, who have faced social, social media censorship as a result. Well, of course. One of them being a United States Senator, Ron Johnson right. from your neighboring state in Wisconsin, who has hosted events with uh, the victims uh, who, who are suffering the consequences of, of, of taking the vaccine. And he calls them, you know, va- vaccine accident uh, stories. And some of them are quite tragic and sad. Um, in many respects, people who are, are suffering in a long-term, um, long-term problems, including those, as you mentioned, uh, who, who have passed away. So uh, we can't ignore it. Uh, it's important to tell those stories. And I don't see any benefit, as, as you said, from, from sweeping it under the rug. It's better to be transparent with the American people. I think you'll gain their yeah, trust as well. I think so, too. Rob Louis, my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll take a short break and be right back. Awfully glad to all my listeners that offers so much grace all the time. Thank you that when we talk about difficult, challenging topics, you seem to just listen, take it in, and then make the decisions based on what is best for you. So I appreciate that very much. Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. So Rob, tomorrow's a big day at the Supreme Court with the Dobbs case. Do tell us more. Yes. Well, it's uh, Dobbs versus uh, Jackson's Women's Health. It's a case that comes out of Mississippi. And the case essentially uh, comes down to, will the Supreme Court finally, after nearly 50 years, uh, overturn Roe v. Wade? That is the outcome that the pro-life community is is hoping for. Uh, whether we actually get there is a, is a question that I think uh, rests with uh, a, a small number of justices, probably Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and John Roberts, if you're, you're looking um, at, at three to, to watch uh, very closely. Uh, that's not to suggest that the others are, have already made up their minds, but I think from past rulings, we, we, we tend to know where they stand. Of course, Kavanaugh and Barrett, relatively new additions to the court, are, um, are, are, are you know, important to watch, uh, both uh, nominated and confirmed under the uh, presidency of Donald Trump. And John Roberts uh, tends to play this swing vote. Uh, mm-hmm. Does he want to go in a more 
a sweeping direction or does he want to go an incremental route? And I'd say on an issue like this bill where uh, life is at stake, uh, we are we are hoping and praying that uh, that Justice Roberts decides uh, to take that bold step and return this debate to where it properly belongs, and that is the states and with the people to decide. It should not. Uh, it was the, the Roe v. Wade decision was wrongly decided in 1973, and we have been living through the consequences of that and uh, and the taking of millions, uh, tens of millions of unborn lives as a result since. So uh, it's uh, it, there's there's a lot at stake here. Lynn Fitch is the uh, Attorney General in Mississippi. We've uh, feature or featuring a. A great interview with her at the Daily Signal right now. She'll be arguing the case uh, before the justices. And, um, and, and Bill, if they decide not to overturn Roe v. Wade, I think what, comes down to, what it comes down to is, will they say that the 15-week uh, ban in Mississippi is that uh, the new standard that, uh, that states can, can apply um, to, for, for themselves? Uh, the United States is in rare and uh, really pretty poor territory when it comes to abortion. We are one of, I think, either four or seven countries, the likes of China and North Korea, that allow abortion right up until the time of birth. And a lot of people don't know that that's what Roe does allow. And so when you ask them in polling and ask if you support Roe v. Wade or don't, um, you know, they might say, yes, they support it, thinking that there are restrictions on abortion, when in fact, the court has said, no, uh, states have the freedom to uh, to choose that if they want to take it right up until that moment of birth, uh, they're allowed to do so. And as we know from my very own governor in Virginia, uh, sometimes it's even after the mm-hmm. baby is born when they uh, they take that gruesome action. So, uh, Bill, um, I, I don't think that there's a more important case that will be argued in our lifetimes than what's uh, what's happening tomorrow. Yeah, and we'll be praying for that for sure. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the current state of inflation. You know, when we were looking at gas prices the other day, I was filling up and I was thinking, what would be wrong with energy independence and pursuing new green options? Why, why can't we do both? You're absolutely correct, which I think is why it was so disappointing that one of the first steps that the Biden administration took upon taking office earlier this year was to shut down the Keystone XL pipeline and impose a whole lot of new regulations on our energy production here in the United States. Uh, like Donald Trump or not, you have to give him credit for making the United States energy independent. I mean, uh, we were we were seeing private investment still in green energy while the government was getting out of the way and allowing Americans to, you know, hopefully have a situation where they didn't have to pay those those skyrocketing gas prices and the home heating bills that are, are certainly going to rise as the weather turns colder. So it's a, it's a situation I think the president has now realized is uh, is is hurting him in the polls. Uh, he's tried to take steps like releasing uh, millions, 50 million uh, barrels of, of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, uh, appealing to some of our, our foreign adversaries uh, for help. And it's, it's really unfortunate because we did not need to be in this predicament that we find ourselves in today. So when I was reading a, something about the supply chain, and I, it went over my head, which is fine. But I'm looking at these ships circling the port in Los Angeles thinking, they've been out there for months how are they surviving? I mean, how much do these workers on those ships hate each other at this point? That's true. I mean, geez, even <laughs> even even when they weren't just sitting there and yeah. waiting outside the port, I mean, they're still spending a lot of time, uh, you know, circling the globe right. uh, from from China to Los Angeles. 
So no, I mean, it's, it's a concern and, and we're starting to see it. I mean, I, I've, I've experienced it. Oh, I should say my wife has experienced it when she went to buy some of the kids Christmas gifts. Uh, she received, after she placed the order, she uh, received a note back saying that the, uh, the gift from my, my two-year-old daughter, uh, a, a tea set, which we were getting her wouldn't be delivered until January. So I mean, people are going to start to, uh, if they haven't already, see that this is impacting real life decisions. And I think it's unfortunate because, again, uh, a lot of these things could be resolved with, I think, some, some new ways of doing things and, and moving away from the status quo. Particularly, uh, ports around the world are usually open 24-7. And why mm-hmm. we can't make that uh, happen in the United States, specifically in Los Angeles uh, and Long Beach, is, uh, is a head-scratcher. You've had other governors, including Ron DeSantis in Florida. Uh, this was a point he was making when I was down there and saw him speak. Uh, he said, look, if they, if they want to come to Miami instead or other ports in Florida, send them our way. We'll be there and ready to, uh, to unpack the goods and get them out to the American people. So it's, uh, it's something that we need to, to keep, keep focused on. And it's probably not an easy solution for us to, to flip on the light switch and have, um, have back in, in business quickly, Bill. But uh, I think hopefully for the long term, maybe we can learn some lessons here. Yeah, Rob, one of these days I would love for you to talk about all you do as editor at The Daily Signal, because I know you must be concerned about the words that get used and the way things are framed. I was reading a a tweet that came off CNN, and it said, Waukesha will hold a moment of silence today, marking one week since a car drove through a city Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring scores of others. And I'm thinking when you read that as a news person, how how does that fall on your ears, like, the the the, the car itself. right yeah 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 I, well i mean i i think that this cnn is not alone the washington post had to delete a tweet that had a similar uh, they used suv instead of car but bill i i don't i think this is deliberate i don't think it's accidental and and i think that uh, because the facts of the situation in waukesha don't align with the prevailing view for some in the media, uh, they are trying to twist and distort it in, in different ways. And again, it goes back to a, a conversation we were, we were having. I mean, I think it's unfortunate that those in journalism today seem to be pursuing a political agenda rather than just reporting the truth and the facts. And that's one of the things that we try to do at The Daily Signal. We're also clear about when we're reporting news or have commentary. Mm-hmm. It's something that those lines have certainly blurred in a lot of media outlets. So we label all of our content, either news or commentary, so our readers know what they're getting. Well, I appreciate that very much. So, Rob, I know this is um, uh, a busy time of the year for you and at the uh, Heritage Foundation with the new president taking over. That starts uh, this week, doesn't it? That starts tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes, Kevin Roberts. We'll make sure that we, uh, we, we love to get him on Faith Radio and, uh, and, and share his, uh, his optimistic vision for, for our country. Uh, he's just phenomenal, Bill. And Good. we're so excited and we're thankful yeah. that... Uh, today being Kay James's last day for all of the contributions she's made. And thank you for having her on your program. Uh, that oh, was, she was one of my, my favorite interviews. She was yeah. delightful, yeah. So I, w- I would love to get uh, uh, the new president on. Is it Dr. Roberts? Is that his name? Yes, Kevin Roberts. Kevin He's Roberts. A, has a PhD, yes, yes. Yeah, so I know some people at the Heritage Foundation, and I'm going to use all my contacts to try to get him on. Excellent. Well, he has my told only contact me loves, is you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> he has told me that he loves doing uh, talk radio. Oh, That's one of his favorite things. So I know he will enjoy the opportunity to visit with you. Good. Thanks, Rob. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor at the Daily Signal. You can always go to DailySignal.com. Take a little break, and two of my very favorite people are going to be with me: Jeff Verdorn, Peter Kapsner. That'll be fun.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Prime time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. All right, I'm going to have a lot of fun right now. I've got two of my very favorite people with me, Jeff Verdorn and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Couldn't be any happier. The three of us are joining together for a little discussion. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Bill. Bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we had so much fun last time. I suggested we do it once again, uh, and here we are. So thank you. You know me. Yeah, it was, a, it, was an, it was a blast to just even sort of work through scriptures that otherwise we don't necessarily get a chance to work through, talk about things at Kingdom Life that uh, Jeff just brings a great perspective to the table. You and I can kind of riff off of him, and, it, and it's just a great, <laughs> uh, a great segment. So, yeah. yeah. So we're going to cover a couple of things today. One is we had this great question that a listener came up with the other day about Moses, uh, Moses's father-in-law had three different names. What's up with that? Yeah, I'm actually not happy with that listener because I had to do way too much research yeah. to try to sort this thing out. And I know you even hate so, I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I feel like I'm still puzzling over this one uh, a little bit after doing some of the research on it because Moses's father-in-law does show up at least with three, some scholars would say four different kinds of names in the biblical text, uh, with Jethro being the common one, Bereol, and and others uh, that are there. So started uh, doing some investigating of this. And, and I think what was the most helpful part of this is to recognize once again, that the Hebrew people, uh, but even the gospel writers and, and any of the authors of scripture, were not necessarily trying to write about history. And, uh, and don't misunderstand me. The, these are historical events that happen. I'm not at all suggesting that that was not the case, but, but their purpose in setting out to write the biblical text was the purpose of theology. Uh, not history. And so they wove things within history to tell a theological story. And and part of what they did in, in their traditions, that it's very different than American tradition in terms of naming people, is that the names may very well have come later after the stories had happened, after they had been told, is that then they named the main character or characters within the story according to the function or purpose or or how it played out for that person. So whether these names were actually the names of the people or whether the later Hebrew authors were ascribing the names to them is, is a subject for debate. But but what's not up for debate is that those names are attempting to tell us something about that person. And, and we see that even when Jesus is named in the genealogy of the book of Matthew, <clears throat> where it says that Jesus, he, his name will be Yeshua or Jesus, for he will what? He will save his people from their sins. And so even Jesus's name is speaking of, of a function that he brought to the table. Well, that takes us to Jethro. And, um, and not only did we see these three, potentially four names within the biblical text, but Jewish rabbinical tradition, as they talked about these stories outside of the stories themselves, he actually had seven names that were ascribed to him, uh, of which maybe three or possibly four were woven into the text. And those names just served uh, as naming different functions about uh, what he brought to the table. So Jethro means overflowing, and this is his primary name in the text because he came out of more of pagan religions of that time, and he began to be overflowing with the abundance of God. And and the other names have just different aspects of that as well. So <clears throat> when they name him as such, it's it's not that the, the scriptures are trying to be historically unreliable or they don't really know what they're talking about. They're simply just teasing out a different dimension mm -hmm. of one of the names of Moses's father-in-law. So 
that that is probably i think the most reliable explanation about what's going on in the text uh, because we see that happen with jonah which actually means dove he's bringing peace to the city of nineveh we see it in moses as being drawn forth from the water we all of these names are functioning uh, in terms of what they did within the story very different than how we might name our kids today where we name them according to maybe some of the big trends i mean Bill, Jeff, I can always tell in my classroom when it, whatever the, the raging names uh, of the trends were for maybe 20 years ago, because it, maybe 13 Madelines and 14 <laughs> Matthews show up in my in my class. And I'm like, oh, that must have been the name of the time <laughs> uh, they, they named their people. It, the, the names of the biblical text are very different than that. So that's my best shot at understanding that part of what was going on there. None of these other names, Peter, were given by God, were they like Abram became Abraham. God named him new. Sarai became Sarah. None of those were given by God, right? Yeah, that's such a good point, Jeff. I'm glad you bring that up because that 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 went across my thinking too. That it doesn't appear to be the case that they were given by God. And and to your point, when Abram and, and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah, there is this intentionality within God where He's giving them an extra Hebrew letter in their name, and that Hebrew letter is actually representative of the breath of God. So when they say yes to following God in the unknown. God changes their name and adds his breath to their name as they're now walking within his breath towards the unknown. And and I think one last piece of that that is interesting is that the Hebrew people understood obedience to be living within the breath of God and and the and, and the voice of God. And so Abraham and Sarah were the start of the Hebrew people who were to be living within the breath of the voice of God. Thus he breathed the ha or the or the Abram to Abraham part of the name. So I just think it's fascinating because I too often, and Jeff, I know you're going to talk about some different misunderstandings we have of the biblical text, but I so and I know this stuff, and yet I go back to the text and read it through an Americanized lens, or I read it through how I understand the world. And I forget that the Hebrew people understood their world very differently. And and actually, frankly, I think there's a real richness in how they understood their world and then wove these beautiful theological, historical tales for us much later. There's a, there's a, God makes a big deal out of names throughout the Bible. I know Jeff is actually God's peace. I kind of like that. Really? I like that, God's too. God's peace. What's Bill? Do you that know is, what Bill is? I don't. I got homework tonight, though. Could, should we just make something up? Yeah, or? great. <laughs> I think we could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and Peter, I, I know it means rock, but when the Hebrew, when I was going through it, I, I saw uh, charismatic and handsome of great strength. I saw mm, all kinds yeah, of things. You're, you're losing us. <laughs> yeah, maybe, kind of a maybe bad that's connection not, here. Maybe that's not entirely that, true. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think William means protector. I think that's what William means, protector. I think protector. that actually sounds right. Yeah, yeah. All right, one of the things I always need to do is I need to pursue uh, new knowledge, and then I also have to uh, review old knowledge. So... One of the things I want to do more of on the show is say, hey, let's be mindful of things we've learned and then review them from time to time because I think it's so incredibly helpful. And I asked Jeff to uh, to do a couple of those today as well. And I know you've got a couple to share, Jeff. Yeah, we had we had actually done this list in a, in a couple shows a while back, but uh, things a... that are not in the Bible. I love this because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. For example, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? And you've heard that. My mom says that has said that. <laughs> this is kind of comes out of the Reformed traditions and about cleanliness, and, and it's just it's not in the Bible. But I had a couple that I thought we'd review that we've talked about before. The first one is one of the what I call one of the big kind of misconceptions or big lies in the world, and that is the world thinks that we are quote all God's children. 
that everyone is God's children. And biblically, we are all made in the image of God, but we are not all God's children. Every single person is made in the image and likeness of God. We are relational. We are creative. We like to write and make things. We have emotions just like God. We're also a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit, just like God is a triune being. But the, the, the title child of God is reserved for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Once you believe, he gives you the right to become a child of God. So that's the first one. I like that. Can I can I steal that and use it in class on on Thursday? I like that. I don't know that I'll give you credit, but I really like that, <laughs> that one. That was really good. Jeff Verdorn, J E F F E. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we get that in from John one twelve. As many as received him to them who believed on his name, he gave the rights to become children of God. And you know, this is just one I bring it up again. It's, it's, it, you hear it all the time. I just heard it a couple weeks ago that we're all God's children, and it's just one of these things that rolls off of people's tongues without ever thinking about it. But this is reserved. There are a number of of identities or, 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 or descriptions in Scripture that are reserved for people that are God's children, that, are, that have believed on him, who are born again and saved. And uh, this is one of them, and I, it's a big title, too. We have been made new. We are a new creation and been given the right to be called his children only through faith. So... And, I, and then I also think that this whole concept that we're all made in the image of God, we are all loved by God, for God so loved the world that God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God made everybody in his image and loves all, and desires, by the way, all to be saved. Mm. Yeah, Jeff, as you were talking, that's what I was thinking about, was um, the idea that when how do we perceive of the people that we meet in any given day? And, and it is a very different thing to say that uh, all people are imagers or image bearers, but not all people are children. And, and I think as you were talking, I was thinking about my own life. When, when I go around, how do I perceive people in the mall or in the coffee shop or when I'm walking around campus or where it might be? And, and I think when you see everybody through the lens of image bearing and everybody as a potential child and, and, and only potential child, right? I think it it maybe motivates um, more of an evangelistic sort of thing because that beautiful image of God is going to be increasingly corrupted unless people decide to say yes to the adoption of God as children of God. And, mm-hmm. and that's, a, that's a different, uh, it's just an interesting distinction you're drawing out, I think. Yeah, you know that other picture that pastors have often used of people, lost people being held captive by the enemy and, you know, yeah. we're, we're the rescuers. We have the keys to eternal life that we can pass on. And, you know, there, there's some powerful images to get us off of our, um, you know, uh, blessed assurance and, mm-hmm. and get out there and be light in this world and preach the gospel to people. So hmm. I love that. That's great. Jeff, what else? How about review? this one? This too shall pass. Oh, yeah. So Christians <laughs> often use this phrase as a, as a phrase of comfort. And basically it's saying, hey, whatever you're going through, you know, somehow God will make it pass and it will go away and, 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 and it'll pass. And I just don't think it's biblical. One, uh, you know, if you re- ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs or go to persecution.org or, you know, whatever, you, you, f- you see the lists of people who have been, to this day, who have been persecuted for Christ. I think Christianity Today had an article a few years ago that said every single day, eight Christians around the world die because of their faith. And every month, 300 Christians are placed in prison 
somewhere around the world because of their faith. Um, if you ask a Christian in, you know, some of these places where Christianity is outlawed and persecuted, uh, North Korea, you know, Iran, you know, this phrase, this too shall pass, just doesn't cut it because there are Christians who have lived a lifetime of persecution and have even experienced death because of Christ. And so mm. Paul was imprisoned and killed. Peter was crucified. Stephen was stoned. Uh, I don't know that this too shall pass would have been comfort to any of them. And yet Paul says, and he describes this world as our light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the eternity or to the inheritance that we are going to receive uh, in the next life. But he's using that phrase light and momentary in, in relationship to eternity, so that in this lifetime, the trouble that we have, which he promised we would have, by the way, in this world you will have trouble, and but they're light and momentary compared to all of eternity. I'll yield my time to Peter Kapsner, your one-minute response. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I, as you're talking, Jeff, I just think you're, you're, you're hitting on what is maybe some of the most important theological course correctives that we can make in our country. We, we have been blinded, and maybe un, understandably so, by the prosperity that we've experienced as a country, and, and I think our Christianity has adopted that prosperity idea where the where the biblical witness is exactly what you said. I, I think if we set up our expectations that in this world we're going to have trouble— then we start looking for a shepherd to walk through the trouble with us as opposed to a shepherd who will relieve mm. us of the trouble so we can get back to the business of prosperity. You know, I have, this subject has been coming up in some of my classes the last few weeks as we see the nation and we see our country drifting away from this kind of traditional representative republic with the freedoms that we've enjoyed for over 200 years and the concerns that, hey, we could slip into an authoritative kind of you know, government situation in this country, you know, unimaginable just a few years ago, seems like, hey, this could happen. And it's like, okay, so what do we do as Christians? How do we respond? And I like to remind people, you know, Paul wrote all of his letters while his country was under foreign occupation by Mm. Rome, and which their leader, their king, their president demanded to be worshiped as God. So we're not even close to that yet, and that's what Paul lived wow. in. Wow. Uh, let me take a short break. When we come back, Jeff, what's next up as a cliffhanger? That's what we do in radio. God will not give you more than you can bear. All kind right. of a cousin to this last I one. I like it. Jeff Dorn, Peter Kapsner are my guests. We'll be right back. the show. It is Giving Tuesday. I hope you are making plans to give to one of your favorite uh, charities. That would be a great time to do it today. I'm in studio with Jeff Dorn. Peter Kapsner is on our studio line, and he has joined us today as we're talking about uh, some things that we want to learn and some things we want to review. And we're reviewing a couple of things today. And Jeff, uh, I think what we're going to do next is God won't give you anything more than you can handle. Yeah, I think this is one that 
In 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can endure under it. And I think people have taken that verse that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and, and, and they will interpret it or misinterpret it by saying God will not give you more than you can bear in this life. In other words, your trials and your persecution won't ever be more than what you can bear. And the reality is, is Paul actually talks specifically to this. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, listen to this. He says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles we are experiencing. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, that we despaired of life itself. Mm. Well, Paul himself was experiencing these trials beyond what he could even bear. And, and, and so this promise that God won't let you experience it, this is kind of like the twin brother or the cousin of what we just talked about before the break, um, that in this world we will have trials and tribulations, and sometimes they're more than what we can even think we can handle. And I think Peter said it, said it best. Those are the moments that you need to lean into Christ and just grasp onto him for everything that you have in those times. Because uh, hmm. Paul said that he, he, he desired even death. But remember, it's also Paul that said, we are hard-pressed on every side. We are not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Jeff, I, as you're reading that passage of Scripture, it just it made me think how often we need to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, meaning that we need to become a, a student of the Word to enable us to understand some of these really common passages. I'm just I I puzzle sometimes myself over why certain passages tend to be more well known, like the idea of you will not have more than you can bear, when there's other passages that you just read that is less known that helps interpret that passage in a variety of ways. Do you have any thoughts just from your experience about why certain verses take on kind of a a supersized life of their own? Yeah, kind of like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And, you know, every athlete uses this and somehow God's going to help you to win that football game or something. And I don't want to minimize people's life verses and things because the power of Christ is in, you know, this that resurrected power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in every believer. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have thought of this a little bit, and I think generally people know what they know about God and Scripture because they've been taught what they know about Scripture. And I think the hard work of study, the hard work of going through Scripture after Scripture and making lists and comparing Scripture to Scripture, and like you said, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, that takes a lot of work. And I, so I think people get these bites in on Sunday morning or in a magazine article or whatever, and I think that sticks. And then they they never did they never do. By the way, what Acts 17 does when, when, the, when the Bereans are commended for searching the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul says is true. I like Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, Bill, I'd be curious. You were talking about new and renew sorts of things. I just, I think, hearing this all again, I, I just, I can't believe how often I forget about stuff like that. Like you said, I was, I was talking with my class today a little bit about how easy it is to just simply forget God's faithfulness. I can't tell you the number of times that I've prayed over something, maybe for a very long period of time, and God creates some kind of way. I, I don't mean a prosperity kind of way. I just mean that there, there's a resolution somehow in the midst of some things. 
And then I just move on my day and I forget all about it. So I just think this remembering thing is we spend so much time in the radio investigating new ideas that to simply go back over these older things to allow them to stick and, and actually become part of our fabric, I think is just, I, I love what Jeff is bringing to the table. Yeah, and you completely understood what I was thinking, Peter. Where to go? <laughs> Seriously, you, you, you absolutely nailed it. So that's good. All right, Jeff, what else? Well, uh, a simple one, a couple simple ones. Um, money is the root of evil. No, it's not money that's the root of evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil, right? So in, in Scripture, whether Paul said, I think the idea, here's one of these core ones, Peter, the simple idea of contentment, right? Paul says that he learned in Philippians, he says he learned the secret of being content in every and all situations. So he says Paul knew what it was to have plenty, he says he knew what it was to have be in want, and he says he's learned the secret of being content. So whether he has, whether you have, you know, your listeners out there, whether wherever state you're in, whether you have plenty or you're in want or you're someplace in between, Paul says be content because it's the love of money, it's the desire, it's the greed in the heart. That's more of an emotion than a material thing. And that is what causes the problem. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah, I, I can think about maybe a handful or even less of people in my life that I would describe that as I interacted with them, they evoked or elicited or manifested that kind of contentment, meaning that they were they were the same person as I knew them over a considerable period of time and independent of their circumstances. And their circumstances did often change. I'm thinking of one person in particular who, as I had a chance to, to know this person from the age of about 11, maybe 10 or 11 years old until about the age of 35 years old, uh, he had experienced the heights of really kingdom successfully pastoral ministry. Again, I don't mean multi-streaming satellite campus church success, whatever version that is. I mean that he was part of translating scriptures among uh, an indigenous tribe in Panama. He was a missionary pastor, well-known. He helped actually start uh, KTS Radio. He was an associate of Billy Graham. And he was somebody that experienced all of this visibility and 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 uh, I guess we, we didn't call it brand awareness back then, but I mean, so many pastors shoot for that sort of thing these days, unfortunately, but his, his brand was well-known, is the point. But when you would um, be with him within the privacy of his apartment or his small house, he was the exact same person within that context that he was when he was in his most visible context. And then even all the way to the end when his body was being ravaged by leukemia and, and it was clear that it's time to, to move through the veil in, into the, the realm of the eternal, that I, I had a chance and my wife, Hallie, and I had a chance to spend uh, some time with him, I think, on his second to last day on Earth. And as he's now in a place where he can't even get up uh, off of his chair in his apartment, um, he once again was the same person that I had known throughout all of those other experiences. And he, and he still had a little bit of a song on his lips. He still had a little twinkle in his eye, even though he was clearly hurting. And, and I tell this story in a few different contexts, but, but what I'll never forget is, is one of the things that he was known to say was just keep shining. It was sort of his way of saying goodbye in a conversation to keep shining with the light of Jesus. And that, that last moment when we spent this rich time with him, maybe some 24 hours before he passed, uh, Hallie and I turned our backs on him, 
for the last time to walk out the door, at least on this side of heaven. And those last words were spoken over us as we put our hands on the doorknob. He just shouted from behind us, keep shining. And, and those words echo with us as part of our own journey. And, and the point of that is he could say those things because he understood the secret that you're describing that Paul said. There, mm -hmm. there was a a peace and a shalom in his spirit that came from the strength that Jesus is able to offer in the midst of all of these things. And he just wasn't fussed by the trappings of success. And he was hurting from leukemia, but he wasn't somehow fussed by it. It was it was one of the most otherworldly experiences I've had. I'm, I'm so grateful for that witness. And I know so few people that can share that. Wow. That sounds like a guy that knew where his treasure mm -hmm. was and his heart was there also. Yeah, and, and his wife equally so. I mean, she was just this remarkable woman who even she 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 could barely see uh, when she would be about 84, 85 years old, and, and she would want to be bringing stuff to the table for people, and her husband, Spencer, would kind of, would stand up and try to, and she would just shout him down and say, no, thank you. And I don't know how she ever even got to the table uh, with, with not being able to see, but she just, she just continued to serve until every last drop was wrung out of her. They were a remarkable couple. Wow, such a powerful story, Peter. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, they, they really made an impact. I mean, Jeff, it goes all the way back to what you said at the beginning of, of this this time. In this world, you're going to have trouble. They they had their significant share of trouble, and yet they learned that secret that circumstances do not create shalom. And how often do we chase circumstances like money in that passage that we finally achieve it? And then we're wondering, like, so why am I still all hollowed out? Why is this not giving me all of what I thought it would be promised to give me? And they, and they learned a secret in the midst of that. Yeah. Well, that was about the fastest half hour in radio mm. that I recall. Oh, boy. Yeah. Are we I mean, done? Yeah, we're done. Yeah. That's all the time we have. Thank you, gentlemen. Jeff Verdorn, Peter Kapsner. Great to be with you. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Mark Muska is coming in. Ask the Professor is up next. We'll be right back. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.